everyone. This is Abby Hamblin, co-host of this podcast with Christy Totten, who you'll hear later in the show. Our guest this week is Paula Avila, who you might have seen in the news recently for joining newly elected Todd Gloria as his chief of staff in the mayor's office. Before taking that job, she served as vice president of international business affairs for the San Diego Regional Chamber of Commerce. Paula is an expert on trade, commerce, and international relationships, so of course here in San Diego, that means border issues. She also has a history with politics, serving as Deputy Chief of Staff for San Diego Mayor Dick Murphy and as a Communications Director for California State Senator Ben Hueso for a while. Are you sensing a pattern? She has a pretty jam-packed resume, including a lot of volunteer work. She's also a graduate of UC San Diego. We talked to her about jumping back into politics and much more, so let's jump right into the interview. Here's our conversation with Paola Avila. Okay, so we do a lot of research for these interviews and we try and dig pretty deep on our guests to find out some interesting things. And we wanted to start by asking about one of the coolest things that we saw, which was the Girl Scouts awarded you the Cool Woman Award in 2018. And I just wondered, what a cool name for an award. Um, You know, how many times can I say cool? But what was that about and how did that come about? Right. I, yeah, that was such a great honor. Um, we all, my, my daughters would disagree that I'm cool. Um, <laughs> so I could actually have validation now and say, see, I am a cool, I'm a cool mom. I'm a cool woman. <laughs> um, so the Girl Scouts, uh, you know, that's a, a wonderful organization. I don't need to go into how, singing their praises because I think, you know, they're well known in the community and nationwide, obviously, for the work that they do in um, helping to prepare uh, young girls, uh, young women uh, for the workforce and giving them the skills that they need just in life. In general, I was a Girl Scout as as I was a brownie first and then as a a Girl Scout. And um, they recognize women in the community uh, each year and um, based on you know what they're doing to help the community whether professionally or in a volunteer basis and I was honored to be selected one of their awardees and um, yeah and it, it, it especially coming from from such a wonderful organization you know I, I certainly believe in the mission in, in their mission yeah, well, um, speaking of, you know, being a young person, did you grow up here in San Diego? Um, we saw that you went to UC San Diego, but was that your first time in San Diego? Or did you grow up here? Yes, I'm, I'm almost a native San Diegan. I arrived here when I was four years old. My, um, my family, we were all born in Mexico City, and um, my parents brought us here. We moved here. Um, in 1979, and we came directly to San Diego. My uh, father worked at the city of Imperial Beach. He's an engineer by trade, and it was supposed to be just a temporary move to broaden our horizons. He wanted us to learn a second language and culture, but um, my mother loved it here, and she's like, oh yeah, we're not going back. So we ended up um, staying and and I have never left San Diego it, as you mentioned even for college uh, both my brother and sister went to UCSD as well we all stayed here part of that has to do with the fact that uh, we are a uh, you know it's a 
Hispanic household, uh, very traditional. And in Mexico, you don't leave your house um, to go to college. It, and so my parents were very traditional in that way as well. I, being the youngest of the three siblings, was able to lobby my parents to let me live on campus, um, which <laughs> nice. I was really excited to do. Uh, so I, I didn't leave San Diego, but at least I, I was able to leave the house. And um, part of that was, you know, I had to pay for my own room and board to be able to, um, that was part of the negotiations, but yes. So I'm, I've uh, been in San Diego my whole life practically. Well, yeah, I mean, speaking of you've done so much here and now you're going to be the incoming chief of staff for the incoming mayor, Todd Gloria. What made you want to take that job? You know, I, um, I used to work in the mayor's office. I worked there 20 years ago, exactly. It was um, it, 2000 when, we, uh, when I came into the mayor's office with the newly elected mayor then and served as his deputy chief of staff. I worked there until 2005. And we did a lot of good things, but it was also a very tumultuous time. Um, and it kind of soured me in so many ways. I swore I'd never go back to City Hall. I, was, um, I went into private practice after that. I started my own business and then, um, and then worked in state legislature. And then of course at the Chamber of Commerce. And uh, so what brings me back is Todd Gloria. Um, he's the, that was the only way I could go, anybody could, could, could convince me to go back. But really, you know, because I, I think it brings an opportunity to really do something meaningful, historic for San Diego. I'm really excited about his vision, um, what he will bring to the city, um, and, and it's exciting to be a part of that. I, I do believe, you know, my life has mostly been in public service. I do believe in public service. And um, I believe in, in work that directly impacts people's lives. And, um, and it's, it's really not about my ideology or what I believe in. It's, it's Todd Gloria's. And my, my job working there will be to implement his vision and, and make sure that that um, is, is, is effectuated. And, and the fact that my, you know, my beliefs align with his allows me to do that effectively and, you know, with passion and heart. Uh, so that's, that's exciting. I mean, I, I, I'm at the point in my life where I can choose, you know, be very picky about what I do. And I'm never going to do something that I don't believe in because I don't think that then you can do a good job of it. You know, so this, that for all those reasons, um, I, I accepted the, the, the job. So for, for reference for our listeners, uh, you're referring to the Dick Murphy mayor era. Um, what did you learn from that time that, you know, um, as you said, there's been a lot of challenges for City Hall. Uh, that's an understatement for San Diego. But, you know, what do you take with you now that you didn't know then or that you learned from then that people can kind of expect from, you know, the administration ahead? Uh, a lot. And, you know, we, we did a lot of great things um, under that administration as well. I'm, I'm still very good friends with Dick Murphy. I think the world of him. Um, he he brought a refreshing new perspective to the to to city the city at that time. He had served as a council member before that, but he was a, he was a judge by trade, and 
he, what that meant was he was, he would listen to all sides and it was great as a young uh, Latina working in his office to be heard because I offered a different perspective than what he had. And, um, and it was a great opportunity. And so that was, it was, it was wonderful. Um, what I learned though, many things that could be a whole, a program like the lessons learned <laughs> a whole episode but, um you know uh it was also a very different time it wasn't a strong mayor form of government and um and there were obstacles there was only so much you could do in the mayor's office uh when you don't actually direct city operations or or you know um and and so there's a lot that we that i that i'm looking forward to in in a different form of government now and strong mayor in the in the in the mayor's office that perhaps i we didn't have control over back then um but certainly you know you you have to take into account um the stakeholders of the city you know they're that's who you respond to your your constituents the voters the people of san diego and um and it's a very different time as well so i think that um there's there's numerous lessons that i've learned not just from back then working at the city but since then you know working in the private sector after that uh i i'm excited to bring my uh the lessons learned from each aspect that i've had from the private sector the public sector working at the city level, working at in state government. Now, uh, my recent, most recent position, working at the Chamber of Commerce, working with business community um, on a lot of issues that, that, that affect the, the region, like border, border issues, uh, infrastructure, trade, immigration. It really is kind of this complete, uh, uh, a complete background that I feel has, it, it is, it's just amazing. You couldn't possibly plan your, your path in life, you know, as much as we try to do that. And I'm very much one that likes, I like lists. I like planning. You can't possibly plan it because you don't know. And when you think life is going to take you a, on a detour, it really is the straightest path to where you want to be. It's a long way of me saying, answering your question really, but it's, um, it's this whole circle of experiences that I've had that's bringing me back to the city um, where near where I started my career that um, I think makes me very well-rounded. And I do, I very much believe history repeats itself and that we cannot forget the lessons um, that we learn in history. So I am carrying all of that forward with me for sure. So you mentioned that your beliefs align with Todd Gloria's and you, there's a lot you want to accomplish and you're a list maker. What is the list you're making now for changes you want to, to set in motion as, as soon as you come into office for San Diego? It's really implementing uh, Todd Gloria's vision, what he said on the campaign. And it's going back to each and every um, comment he made, speech that he made, his um his outline for getting San Diego back to work uh, in COVID. It was a 44 page document that, uh, that he produced in the campaign. 
it's, it's really implementing, taking all of that. Um, there's a lot to do and certainly a lot of issues that were, that were not his priorities, but that the city has to deal with regardless. And we don't even know what the next COVID is going to be the next challenge. Right. So, um, we, so you have, you start off with your list of priorities, everything that he um, highlighted that he campaigned on from, you know, housing and, and addressing homelessness to helping the city recover from COVID, restarting the economy to moving other very significant challenges that the city faces off the plate so that it's not a continuous distraction. Um, whether that's vacation rentals to um, other issues that have plagued the city, you know, and I think that that um, it's, it's so it's really a, a um, it's a list, but also a process for that. And part of that is, um, is how do you, how do you, how do you govern? And it's through a, le a lens of race, of a race of, of an equity, equity and inclusion. That's what the mayor elect campaigned on, that we need to be inclusive. We need to be uh, representative. Um, it, and, it's, and it's time to, um, to address some of the inequalities that have plagued our city. Um, and, and provide opportunities for everyone. You know, his campaign slogan was a mayor for all. And so no, regardless of what those prior, policy priorities are or things that will be thrown upon us, we need, it's about how do we address that? Um, and it's through that lens of equity and, and inclusiveness. And so um, I think that's a part of it and setting that culture at the city. It's a work culture that then, you know, permeates throughout city departments and, and employees, city employees, and the relationship that the mayor will have the, with the city council and the new council members as well. It's one of working together, you know, cohesively and in a very collaborative way. Where do you feel like you know, you do a lot of volunteer work, you've worked both inside and outside of the government, but where does that drive come from for, for doing public service? Like, what is it that appeals to you about it? It's not an easy thing to do. Um, chief of staff is going to be a lot of work. You know, what is it that drives you personally? Uh, I'll say there's two main factors. One is uh, my father's brother, who passed away at a very young age, unexpectedly, nine months before I was born. And I feel very, uh, certainly very close to him because I never met him, but um, because I was born nine months after his death, um, I, I feel a connection to him. And his path was very much of public service and reading, he, he produced, he, he wrote many documents and um, I read them to kind of get to know the person that he was and, he, and, and the bright future that he had. And he had so many aspirations and the things that he wanted to change 
uh, in his community and also in his, just his country. And I, I do feel this strong connection to him in that if he died at very young and age, and I have a life here um, to, to carry out, it's, a, it's both a heavy on my, weighs heavily on my shoulders, but, I, but also I feel like I can do a lot of the work that he wanted to do. Um, I have that opportunity and kind of obligation. And um, so that's always guided me. It's always been in the back of my head and I didn't know how I could carry out his, some of his work, but it's always been there. And I, I would, that was kind of my why and also kind of my compass. And things would happen throughout my life where I thought, okay, maybe this is his doing or maybe this is the path that I'm meant to be on. Um, and so that, so I, I definitely feel that today as well. Um, the second is, are, are my two daughters. Um, I was a single mom at a very young age and, um, and, and it was my daughter, my old eldest and I who kind of had to figure things out and she was my guiding light, still is. And, and then I had a, a second daughter five years after that. It's sometimes it was just the three of us, you know, we called ourselves the Avila girls. We like had to just figure it out. And we were, um, you know, we're, they, they, gosh, they are such strong young ladies. Um, and they surprised me, their, their resiliency and, and their, their maturity. And it, forever, I, I, you know, since, since I was very young, I always felt like, okay, I just need to make sure I do a good job as a mother and raise contributing members of society. Um, now I feel like they're the ones teaching me and, um, and I've, as much as I try to set a good example for them, they come right back at me with a good, a, a, and a good example. And I think, okay, yes, that's, that's my compass. And am I doing the right thing? And I kind of check in what example am I setting for them? And I certainly want to set, um, that good, a good example of, female empowerment, you don't have to choose between family and a career. Um, you can seek very, a very ambitious agenda. You can serve your community, do what's in your heart and do it with passion and it'll be rewarding. And, um, and you'll succeed because your heart is in it. Uh, so that's, kind of a very long-winded answer to your question, but it's, I feel very strongly about both of those. That's the both reasons of why, um, why take on a very, uh, uh, um, why take on this huge challenge? Why now? And, um, and, and it's, and it's for, for those reasons. It's a, it's a calling and a kind of a, um, just part of my DNA. I like what you said about your daughters teaching you as well. Like what have been some of the things that surprised you uh, that you, you know, you learned from them? You know, because as a parent, you worry all the time about them. Like, oh my gosh, are they going to be okay? I don't want anything to happen to them. I don't want them to suffer. And 
of course they do. You can't protect them from everything and they're going to, and, and you want them to suffer, frankly, because that's what makes them stronger. And so they both have gone through um, challenging times and difficult things. And, and, it, and they both surprise me and they sh it shouldn't me, but, but their resiliency that, yeah, they will, they will overcome. And in fact, not only did they overcome, they were stronger from it. And then they proved that not only will they be okay, but that's actually um, setting them up for the next challenge in their lives that now they have the confidence to overcome and the strength and they're gonna actually overachieve. They've just, because we each have those moments where we think, where you feel defeated, right? And you think, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to get past this. Or you're knocked down and you, and you just um, hold on to defeats. And they've taught me to let go. They've taught me that you can let go of disappointment. You can let go of some um, people that hurt you. You can let go. You can forgive. And... Um, that they've taught me that and because you know it but it it's something different than if you're you're told then that if you are taught that or you are told that then if you live it or you see someone live through it one more question along those lines and i promise we can move on but like what has been a really big challenge for you you know something that you overcame that you even surprised yourself in doing i, I think you mentioned some career hurdles or doubts early on or, or maybe it's something personal but like what's been you know the part of your story that you're like wow i actually i actually did that and i actually uh overcame it yeah there there's a, a lot um so when i left the city in 2005 and i started my own business that was a very scary thing to do because then you're in it's only on you don't have a set paycheck right um it's great to be your own boss but you're also the one who has to pay your own paycheck and figure out where your income is going to come from it's not a secure source of income and that's that can be very scary especially as a parent um to to take that to, to take that dive, you know, uh, leave the, the security blanket and, um, and so, and just believing that you can do it. Um, and I, I think that that was something that I really needed to overcome. Let's be honest, as females, we question everything, right? And we think like, Am I good enough? Can I do it? I need to check off every single box in the qualifications to, before I can say, okay, yeah, I'm going to apply for that job or yes, I'm going to start my own business. The, do I know business plan? Do I have the background to do that? You know, and, and um, sometimes you have to let go of those checklists and think, okay, yes, I have the skills and what I don't know, I'll figure it out because I have there's enough there for me to figure out the rest. And so um, I think that that's one thing that, um, you know, th that it, and it didn't always work out, you know, and so um, that's something that I think um, 
is important to get past and um it, and and disappointments will come and it's okay because you can learn from them think okay i won't make that mistake again it's good i made that mistake because now i know to look for that and um and and the little the the little challenges that you have along the way and you think um okay that didn't work out for me um that didn't go as i had expected or planned in the end you think oh that actually w did work out <laughs> it things happen for a reason or even what even the disappointments i feel um happen for a reason yeah absolutely kind of like you said the detour is sometimes the, the the straightest way there you know you don't realize it in the moment yeah exactly yeah it's really nice thanks for sharing that i think it's good for people to hear you know especially when they're in a area of uncertainty or a time of being unsure of themselves. It's nice to hear you could end up as chief of staff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but before you get there, uh, we do want to talk a little bit about you're wrapping your time up at the uh, Chamber of Commerce. Uh, your job title is VP of International Business Affairs. And so if you were to just tell someone, you know, who maybe doesn't know a lot about the chamber or what that job entails, like what are just a few things you would say about your time there or things that you did that would help under someone understand what your day-to-day -day job was like? My job there was leading public policy on international issues. Um, and that's very important for San Diego because we are on an international border and we're very much a, an, an international hub. We have investment here from international companies. Um, we have a, a very important seaport, land ports, airport, a variety of industries and sectors because we're a military town. Um, there's all the factors that make up San Diego. It, it certainly, it sets us up as a very international hub. And so trade is very important um, to San Diego. It's part of what created San Diego and lured companies here um, was international trade. One of the first you know, sectors for San Diego. Um, and so it, it's uh, something maybe a lot of people aren't aware of that we do actually do manufacturing in San Diego, um, all the countries that we trade with um, and the importance to our economy. Uh, so it's something that it, I always found very exciting because you didn't have a typical day at work. It all was ever changing. And it was exciting to me to be able to lead that policy and, um, and craft policy that was so impactful uh, working with other countries, you know, mainly because of our geographic location, our, our primary trading partner is Mexico and we're right there on the border. So I spend a lot of my time across the border working with the business community in Baja, working with the government there, uh, lobbying Mexico City, uh, and then secondly, Canada. Um, and then, you know, it's just working on some of the issues that were at the time, have been at the time uh, of huge um, importance and, and profile. We've had, we were faced with um, renegotiating NAFTA, um, which is a, a hugely impactful trade agreement for San Diego, again, because of its geographic location. Um, we were 
we have been at a trade war, you know, with several different countries where we were facing tariffs. Um, and we were also put on the map really and, and highlighted um, because of a lot of issues around, around the border. Um, we were faced with threats of border closures, um, you know, huge immigration debate, um, you know, uh, separately, you know, these migrant um, caravans that, that were faced with that tied in trade issues to that because it was tariffs and the threat of tariffs that were connected to immigration policy. Um, I can number a million things, but you know, it, it, it has been such a tumultuous time for border issues that I was able to, um, you know, I was working in Washington, DC. I, I brought together the business communities from Arizona and Texas, mainly in New Mexico as well, where, you know, we all shared a common goal. We needed to um, reactivate and, and frankly defend some of these policy areas that were most important to the border issue, um, but explain it at a nationwide scale uh, because that um, it has been, you know, at the forefront. So um, that's that's what I've been focused on, and it's been uh, every day something new because you didn't know what was going to be coming out of Washington. Frankly, it's um, you know even what aside from what the policy issues that we had prioritized, we were faced with things we hadn't contemplated. When, when I started at the chamber, I was working on trying to get approved a new trade agreement with Asia. And then the threat of NAFTA came in. We hadn't planned for that. It, it wasn't on the horizon. Um, that was like a secure set thing. So, you know, just things that unexpectedly came, um, came up that um, really, it, you know, set us on a whirlwind. Uh, but I'm, I'm happy that we've had a lot of accomplishments. Really, San Diego's been a leader on a lot of these issues. Are there any good anecdotes or secrets from uh, either the San Diego business community or some of the work you've done with trade that would really surprise people about kind of what goes on right here in San Diego? I think sometimes I see the lists of things that are brought across the border or, you know, sometimes I just read news stories and I think I had no idea that was happening. So what's kind of the most interesting thing that you kind of saw or learned, would you say? You know, and, and this goes to what uh, the mayor elect have, um, was would say on the campaign trail that San Diego needs to start punching above its weight. You know, we were acting like a small city in many ways, but we're a global force. And so one thing that I'll mention that I think very few people know is that um, the San Diego Baja region, which we kind of market as Cali Baja region, is the largest medical device manufacturing cluster in the world. Yeah. Um, like what kind of things that? is that? <laughs> Everything from heart stints, you know, to the PPE, the critical um, medical devices that we've been utilizing to combat COVID are produced right here. They're, the research, the development, you know, the prototypes to the manufacturing happens right here in our region. We are the largest cluster for medical device manufacturing on the world and on the globe. So it's quite significant. And you, you think about the, you know, the importance of the, um, the biotech companies that we have in San Diego, uh, 
many of those, they have suppliers or operations across the border as well. And that's what makes us very globally competitive. And the fact that you have that presence attracts others. So other providers, suppliers will come, smaller companies come to the region because of that, that presence. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it's very organic how that developed and it's interesting. We also have an aerospace cluster uh, here in the region. Um, and like manufacturing, like I mentioned, you think, oh, San Diego used to be manufacturing hub and it no longer is. We have a very, you know, hardy manufacturing industry. Um, agriculture, uh, we have significant amount of agriculture. It's, you know, um, you know one of the uh, biggest commodities that we export from here and, um, and that's flowers. You don't think about that, but flowers are part of the agricultural um, sector and, uh, and a very hardy part of our economy. So yeah, that's really cool. And then the second thing that I'll mention is um, CBX, the Cross Border Express, that it's a terminal that uh, was built and connects San Diego to the International Airport in Tijuana. That's the only one of its kind in the globe. Uh, it's amazing, and it's uh, and it has surpassed all expectations for for travel and um, the the um, the consumers that it has attract attracted. It's not just within our region, but it tapped into a market um, from Orange County in Los Angeles that we didn't have access to or couldn't attract, but um, now because of of that, which um, has been great for our region, we've been able to, um, you know, really, and I'm talking pre-COVID, COVID has kind of changed that, but aside from, from the pandemic, um, it, it has been, it's such a huge success story. Think about building a physical bridge over um, our, the border fence that we have here. Um, and at a time that was very critical for the, you know, the, what we've been discussing, it has really become a billboard for San Diego of we build bridges here and we work in partnership with Mexico because that's what makes us stronger. So I love the Cross Border Express as a as a success story and about how, and and a story on how we can make huge impossible projects come to fruition because San Diego often discusses these lofty goals and projects and then it, somehow they end up you know finding its doom uh, like no there's no way we could make that happen well we have we have uh, made huge projects like that happen before so we can do that we can do that again I think so many people are, you know, worried about the pandemic and like the long lasting effects that may have. And so you being an economist, what are you forecasting? And, you know, what is also your plan um, to, to help the city through this? Yeah, you know, this, I think no one could have foreseen the extent that this was going to have, you know, that how long it was going to impact us, how long it was going to close keep our, some of our sectors closed. We are still not hosting conventions here, for example, you know, as some businesses reopened. Um, it, the impact I think is so long lasting because, you know, we're still in it. Now, with that said, there is light at the end of the tunnel. We 
what we know of the vaccine is very optimistic. It's great. I think that that um, is, is a right around the corner. I think that um, we will be able to um, overcome this, um, the actual, you know, um, the actual threat of, you know, spreading the virus, that part of it will be contained. What comes after that, though, is the long-lasting economic impacts um, and, and then the path to recovery. But there's a lot that we can do to address that. I think you've seen how the pandemic has pushed us to utilize technology and more innovative solutions uh, at a very fast pace. Again, talking about the impossible, things that, you know, projects that uh, even the city of San Diego had uh, forecasted as being, you know, it would take a long time to digitize or, you know, make use of technology to expedite permitting, for example, um, actually was accomplished in a relatively short amount of time. We're processing permits uh, electronically now. You know, it, this pandemic has pushed us to be more innovative and, and efficient. And I think that using that, expanding it and implementing it on a permanent basis will be one of the ways that we can help um, our economy recover faster. Because that's, it's just setting a different type, a different culture at the city too and, and in government to be more nimble, to be more of a yes city where let's see how we can help our businesses versus catch businesses that are out of compliance and penalize them. Instead, oh, did you know you're out of compliance? Can we help you? You're missing this document, let's help you. And um, to, to assist rather than penalize. I think that that just culture shift is, is one way to really help out. Um, another is, what we were mentioning, what we were talking about earlier is, let's not just go back to how we were before, but let's go back better. And that's part of uh, Mayor Elect Gloria's Back to Work San Diego plan, where it talks about um, recovering in a, in, in a way that brings us back, um, back to work, but in a way that's more equitable for, for everybody, um, perhaps creating new opportunities for those that were left behind, those that um, have, have suffered uh, more, have, have had a greater, have seen a, uh, a greater impact from the pandemic. I think that there's a lot more assistance that we can provide for those have, who have been most adversely impacted by the pandemic. Um, and then the, the, the final thing that I'll mention on this is San Diego has seen hardships before. We've had recessions. Um, we have seen, we have faced huge economic challenges um, as a region and as a city in the past. And we have overcome that. Um, we can overcome this as well. And it's because we are San Diego. And it's because of the people of San Diego. They've time and time again have shown they come together. They, when, when we work together, we overcome it. 
And I think that that spirit of collaboration is really key to overcoming this as well. And that a big, big part of it is the binational nature of San Diego. Um, we are such a force when you, when we work together across the border as well, playing to the strengths of each side of the border and uh, what we have to offer. And it's a tremendous workforce that we have. Uh, I think that the, we have all the ingredients to succeed. It's, um, it, it's something that is just up to us then to ensure it happens. And us, I mean, the greater us, all of us, all San Diegans. I think a lot of people know the work that you do in San Diego County, but we really try and get to know the person behind the name and the face and the job title. So we saw that you are, you were a college athlete. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I ran track and cross country at UCSD. Nice. So, so what else, what else are some of the things that you like to do outside of work, whether it's on either side of the border or just, you know, to help people get to know you and the things that you like a little better? Sure. Yeah, I'm still an avid runner. I part of that is because I don't have good eye-hand coordination, and um, <laughs> my husband constantly teases me that I, you know, I'd, running is not a real sport. It is. Let me tell you, it's a real sport, but it doesn't require as much eye-hand coordination. So that's why I, I succeed at that. And for me, really, for me, running is more about like meditating. It helps me work through problems and helps to stimulate my brain and then it also lets me um then eat larger meals that which i <laughs> I, I love i'm addicted to food so uh, that, it's a uh, it's something that i've had to keep up um doing but i love the outdoors i love hiking i um i live near the bay we have a couple of paddle boards we love to go out on the water and, and paddleboard um my my youngest my daughter she works at the marina out out there and so we love to we're just attracted to the water it's such a a calming force you know in many ways and um and just a, a connection to to nature um i i think very few people know and they would be surprised to hear that i love um i because i'm not exactly an artist but i love painting i love creating things. I love drawing. Um, so that's, I, I don't know that I've shared that with many people, but I, that's also like, it helps me to think things through. And, um, you know, it's, um, when you feel stressed out, you need to look for outlets. Right. And, um, that's something else that I really enjoy doing and, and help to take a break from kind of mental strain and stimulate the creative side of um of our brain here here absolutely i want to ask you one other question before we wrap up and it's just about your amazing pink jacket so um you know of course we're on zoom now other listeners are only going to hear the audio but the reason i want to ask you about is you said you used to wear black and white and gray mostly abby and i are wearing black and white and gray and you're you're wearing this like bright pink suit and you actually have a philosophy about it so could you share with us why you sort of changed your wardrobe and and when yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it was I, I. It was pointed out to me by my daughters actually um, how boring my wardrobe was because it was just earth tones, and I recalled my mom telling me these stories, and I remember them from my grandmother how she would choose. She had a color 
for each day of the week. And she would wear that color based on the day. And she was a very bright, cheerful person. And, um, and, and, but she didn't have an easy life. She went, she had a tremendous, she has a tremendous story. All the Avila women, all the women in my, um, in my, in my family, they are strong, badass women. And I so look up to them. So any lesson I can learn from them, I listen. And so I, I tapped into that and I thought that is such a good idea. Like, um, to try and influence your mood or help your mood based on, you know, by adding color to your day. And we have to bring that into our day ourselves. We can't rely on others to um, cheer us up or, you know, make our day brighter, right? So I started implementing this. When I see it's going to be a difficult day or um, I'm nervous about something, I'm going to choose a bright color um, or some of my favorite heels, right? So Mondays tend to be just mentally uh, challenging or... um, more difficult and so i i choose bright colors for mondays that's i'm not as good about um sticking to a, a specific color pattern uh throughout the week but for monday i certainly choose bright colors i love this so much i think first of all you've given me like um this is my new year's resolution is like next year going forward i'm going to try to wear more color but also it's like very uh ruth bader ginsburg you know and like wearing the collar for the certain occasion the descent collar, right so that's really nice yeah yeah it it does make a difference you you know and sometimes you feel like no it's i need um my mood is dark i'm gonna wear black accordingly and you have to force yourself to wear color right you like don't want the attention you're like i don't want to wear orange today right okay next year we're wearing the orange i love it so to wrap up our show one of the things that we do to end it it's called name drop san diego so we ask our guests uh, if they'd like to name drop someone, whether that's someone who's made a big impact in their life or someone who deserves a spotlight in San Diego County, um, who would that be locally for you? Hmm. Okay. Well, I have to say, so a big part of um, where I am today is all the people that have mentored me and helped me along the way. And I definitely believe in giving back and helping um, the next generation. I, I try and um, I, I volunteer in different programs to work on that. I'm currently a mentor at Reality Changers, and I think the world of that organization. So I would, I, I, I admire um, the, the president and CEO of Re- Reality Changers, uh, Tamara Craver. She is amazing. I, I so value the work that they do there. And it's, um, it, it's certainly where she's, her and her organization is certainly um, worth doing a deep dive, taking a look at. Hey listeners, it's Abby Hamblin again, wanting to take a moment to celebrate that this is our 30th episode of Name Drop San Diego. It has been such an interesting process, mostly doing these interviews from home. We've heard dogs barking and cats meowing and all kinds of interesting things as Our guests also mostly call in from home. So we just want to say a special thank you to them for working with us through the technical aspect of figuring out how to do this, as well as our listeners who have heard all kinds of things, but who have stayed very supportive. So thank you for tuning in. We hope you'll join us for another episode 
each Tuesday they come out in your favorite listening apps. So you can also connect with us on social media. We're at Name Drop San Diego on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd like to very much shout out all of our support team at the San Diego Union Tribune who makes this podcast possible, as well as the UT Podcast Network. Check out our other podcasts, including San Diego News Fix, which takes you inside the top stories of the day, hosted by Daniel Wheatley. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.